Good evening, good evening, dear friends. We are at a very, very beautiful, exciting point of learning. We are concluding chapter 25, which as I mentioned in my email, concludes a massive, massive subject in Tanya. One large theme, which began in chapter 18. And boy, oh boy, it was quite a, quite a march here, no? So... <laughs> I want to congratulate all of you and all of us for making it to this milestone, completing chapter 25, and uh, starting in next class, God willing, God ne next week, we will start a brand new subject in Tanya. So, very exciting. And uh, there's so much power here in this chapter as the author brings together all of these open threads that the author began with chapter 18 already. We learned so much about the power of self-sacrifice in the Jew, right? We learned so much about what exactly the Jew doesn't want to lose. What does the soul know that it's willing to die for? What is the belief, what is the conviction of the soul that it's willing to die for? And what the author explained to us is it is the oneness of God, it's the faith in the oneness of God. Not just that there's only one God and not two gods, but how there's only one God and only one and only God and nothing else exists. And the very idea that there should be anything other than God, that there should be a sense of independence to reality other, other than God, that itself, that itself is beyond the pale of the faith of the soul. And that's really what it means to believe in one God, that there's pure oneness. The world is not separate from God, it is one with God. It is united with God. And the author then showed us how every single mitzvah, every single mitzvah, even the mitzvah that doesn't seem so earth-shattering, really touches upon the very same oneness. Every single mitzvah connects you with God and connects you to that oneness. And conversely, every single transgression, any sin, no matter what it is, is essentially idolatry. It is creating a space within reality of separateness from God. As much as every single mitzvah is itself the act and is itself the revelation, within this mitzvah, within the act of the mitzvah, the oneness of God shines in the act of a transgression. A Jew creates a space, a force, a reality of utter separateness from God's oneness. And the author Eben, in chapter 25, last class, brought it all together for us and told us like this. Why do we need to know all this wonderful information? It's very simple. Because when you know all of this, it gives you clarity in life. Meaning like this. A Jew has to know. A Jew must know that they, not the Jewish people as a collective, but you, you and me, every single one of us, will give up our life for God if that is what is the call of the hour. If that is what's demanded of us, we would do it. Happily, joyfully. It wouldn't even be a question. Without doubt. We're willing to die for this. Every single holy Jew who's given up their life over the generations, the millions upon millions upon millions of Jews, men, women, and children, every single age, who's given up their life as a testimony for every single one of us, 
that we would die for God. And every Jew would die for God. And the optimist says, you got to know that. You know why you got to know that? Because it gives you clarity of who you really are. It gives you a vision of your true identity. How could you be true to yourself? Right? Today, it's, it's, uh, it's in vogue to say, be true to yourself, right? So what, what is the real me that I could be true to? What's the real me? <laughs> the author of it says, when you know what you're willing to die for, that tells you who's the real you. It tells you who you really are. When you are seeing life like a deer looking at the headlights, right? You know that this is the moment of truth. When there is truth, you know who you really are. And the author says, you got to know. You got to know that. And when you know that, then you have a tremendous confidence. You have tremendous inspiration. You have empowerment to make good choices, to make visionary choices. And the author says, very, very simple. When you are facing a moment of weakness, when you are facing a moment of maybe where you want to transgress a mitzvah, you have to remind yourself and inspire yourself. Simply remember, remind yourself. I am willing to die to not lose my connection with God. And this transgression is separating me from God. So if I'm willing to die, lose life and limb, give up everything to not lose this connection, I should for sure be willing to give up 15 minutes of pleasure, five minutes of pleasure. Right? That's a small price to pay for the deepest love of my life, right? And the author says, when you make that choice, you're being a visionary. You're living truly in tune to your true identity, which is so powerful, right? I told you last week, remember I told you last week the story of the nurse who wrote the book, The Confessions of the Dying, right? You remember I told this to you? What was confession number one? What was regret number one of the dying? I wish I lived a life true to who I really am. The number one regret of people who know, right, people in hospice, people who know that they're looking at their final days, final weeks, I wish I lived a life true to who I really am. It's an unbelievable, it's an unbelievable concept. The Altibus says, don't wait until your final moments to have that clarity, to have that vision. Have it now. Live every single life as a visionary. And the Altibus says, you could inspire yourself. It's very easy. Just remember, remind yourself who you really are. And the power of self-sacrifice reminds you that. And the author continues, conversely, every single mitzvah provides you with a connection to God. It creates a connection and you bond with that oneness of Hashem. We live in a world where we don't sense the oneness of God. When you do a mitzvah, you enter into a space where there's total oneness with God. And your soul gets to experience that. So the author says again, remind yourself, if I'm willing to die, to not lose my connection with God, how much more so should I be willing to discomfort myself? How much more should I be willing to inconvenience myself? A little inconvenience, five minutes, an hour, push myself a little bit out of my comfort zone to connect with God. And the author says that there's a mitzvah that you know maybe you don't usually do, and usually you feel it's a little bit too hard. Remind yourself, remind yourself, this mitzvah matters a lot to me. Let me put in a little bit more effort. Yeah, it's going to be hard. I'm going to have to schwitz through it. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be convenient. Do it anyways. And then if there's a mitzvah you already do, push yourself to do it a little bit better. 
And the author gave us a few examples, right? What were the, what were the examples that the Tanya gave us? There's studying Torah. We all study Torah. But how much do we prioritize that study? How much do we really put our mind and heart and soul into that study? How easy are we to say, eh, you know what? I'm too tired. I'm not going to study today. And the Altima says, don't do that. Push yourself. Say, yeah, I'll be tired. Inconvenience yourself. Sacrifice. A little bit of sa- Push yourself. Push yourself out of your comfort zone. And again, it's a, it's, a, it's a whole different way of looking at Judaism, right? Push yourself. You gotta, there has to be a, a certain inspiration of sacrifice. I don't only study Torah when I enjoy it. I don't only study Torah when I, uh, when, when it's convenient for me, when it fits my schedule. The opposite. I don't fit Torah study into my schedule. I fit my schedule around my Torah study. <laughs> right? Because again, who's the real me? The real me is my connection with Hashem, is my connection with God. And same thing with prayer. Pray a little bit more than you're used to praying. And when you pray, put a little bit more effort and focus and dedication into that prayer. And the same thing the altar says about giving tzedakah. We all give charity. Charity feels good. But we all know there's a point where charity stops feeling so good, right? What did the late Bill, uh, which Bill said this? One of the Jewish Bills said this, right? Or maybe it was Hermelin, David Hermelin. You have to give till it, uh, till it starts hurting, right? Is that what he said? He had a better way of saying it, right? Give until it feels good, and then give even more until it hurts, and then give even a little bit more. Yeah, real, real, it's, giving charity is not just a convenience, it's not just good for your tax, uh, tax write-off. Tzedakah has to go a little bit beyond, be a little bit reckless, be a little bit uncomfortable with the giving of tzedakah. And the altarist says, we, we have to push ourselves, we have to remind ourselves, I'm willing to die for my connection to God, let me use a little bit of that inspiration, of, of that vision, to be a visionary of who I really am, and go a little bit above and beyond. And the altar says, if you just simply remind yourself of this truth, decisions start becoming pretty easy to make. That's what the altar says, just simply remember it. Simply remember. You know, we all know this to be true. We all know this to be true. You know, as a father of young children, right, four children, and, you know, God willing, for I, I think all of you, most of you know, we have number five on the way, right? You knew that? Okay, number five is on the way. Sometimes dealing with little children is uh, um, pretty taxing, and sometimes you have no patience for your kids, right? <laughs> Am I the only one, right? I'm not the only one, right? It's relatable. And sometimes you feel like you're losing your temper on your kids, and sometimes you feel your kids are pushing the buttons, and sometimes you're just not in the mood of them. Kids come home from school, they're tired, they're hungry, you need to do homework, you need to put them to bed, you need to bathe them. Not in the mood. So what do you have to do? You have to, so first of all, you have, to, you have to push yourself, you have to force yourself. <laughs> you've got to be in the mood of everything, but also you just have to remind yourself, give yourself a, a little bit of a pep talk. So, you, know, this is, you know, this is important, my kids are important to me. And even when I'm not in the mood, i got to do it anyways. You know, this morning I had a full three-ring circus in my house at 5.30 a.m. And I went to sleep very late last night. <laughs> I was working till late. I was so tired. And, uh, you know, being a good father means, and being a good spouse means, you're always reminding yourself of what really matters, right? God just says, that's what it, it's also what it means to be a Jew. Remind yourself, and the way to remind yourself is by reminding yourself of the power of self-sacrifice. 
The power of sacrifice gives you clarity, gives you 20-20 vision of who am I really? What do I really care about? And the author says, it doesn't matter how religious you are, how much of a believer you are, how many doubts you have, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how many hang-ups you have with God. It doesn't matter. That's all superficial layers. On the inside, every single Jew is equal. True equality. Every Jew is deeply in, 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 in unity, in oneness, in intimacy with God, all equally. And every Jew just simply has to remind themselves that. Okay, so dear friends, we are up to page 192 in the Tanya. And what the author has said is, every single mitzvah gives you the gift of oneness with God. You create a space, you create a space within this world, you create a reality within this world, where the oneness of God shines and you become connected with God when you do a mitzvah. The author is now going to say something so beautiful, so powerful. Not just does a mitzvah give you the gift of oneness, but the oneness that you are able to create and tap into when you do a mitzvah, there's something special about it. Let's read. Page 192, part 2 of chapter 25, a mitzvah lasts forever. Says the Alter Rebbe, above in the upper worlds, this unity with God through doing a mitzvah is eternal, forever, because God and his will transcend time. Ooh, unbelievable. What does the Altima say? The Altima says, you know, we, physical, mortal human beings, live within our uh, physical reality, our planet, our matrix. <laughs> and uh, because of that, there are certain limitations. And there are certain simply uh, realities we contend with. One of the limitations of physical life is time. Time means that nothing lasts forever. And everything is changing. So if we do a mitzvah, we do a mitzvah. And then when the mitzvah is done, the mitzvah is done. And then the more time that goes on, the more time has gone since we did the mitzvah. And that mitzvah becomes history. That Torah study that we once studied becomes history. It's something I once did. Oh yeah, you know, I once upon a time did that. Says the Yalta Rebbe, but a mitzvah is a godly act. A mitzvah is you connecting with God. And God is not bound by the limitations of nature. And that oneness you created with God now is something which is eternal and is forever because God is eternal and forever. And what that means is that even though our subjective experience of life is that we've moved past that mitzvah, but time is relative, right? in a different level of reality, that mitzvah never stopped, that bond never stopped. The oneness that we have generated, the power of the mitzvah that we have generated is something which stays with us for the rest of our lives and even after we die. It becomes an eternal force which is simply lives on in infamy. The, uh, a mitzvah is a permanent rectification, a permanent force in reality. Something permanent happens to us, even though to us it seems like we've left the mitzvah, we've done something else. Because God transcends time. Because God is eternal. 
And the author says, continues, and the same is true for the manifestation of his will through his speech. Not only is God eternal, not only is God beyond time, but also God's will as he expressed it, which is the Torah. It is eternal. The Torah is beyond time and space. The Torah is eternal. And when you do a mitzvah, you enter a space that transcends the limitations of time. Whatever you accomplish, whatever the effect is of studying Torah and doing a mitzvah, that stays forever. As the verse states, and the word of God will stand forever. When God says something, that is an eternal message. And the next quote, which is from the Siddur, and his words are alive and enduring. Something that God said, the will of God, the Torah of God, and the mitzvahs of God are alive. It's not something that God said once upon a time on a Mount Sinai, which is actually this week's Torah portion, right? The Torah is, is fresh, it's alive, it's enduring. It's fresh today as it was when it was first given. And the final quote, and he will never alter or change his law. The Torah doesn't change. Because the Torah is not a product of time. The Torah lives beyond time. The Torah is a force of eternal truth, of eternal divinity, of timeless divinity. And when we now learn Torah, and when we do a mitzvah, we become connected to a space beyond time and space. We become connected to a place of eternity. And the bond that we connect with, that we make with Hashem, the unity we have with God, stays with the Jew forever. We leave the mitzvah, but the mitzvah never leaves us. Right? In our minds, we learned that Torah yesterday. We learned the Torah a year ago. We did the mitzvah another, some other day. But from the mitzvah's perspective, it's as if that was just as fresh as it is now. The effect stays with you forever. The Rebbe repeated these words of Tanya quite often, and the Rebbe said it with a lot of passion. The Rebbe, one of the Rebbe's great innovations, and uh, one of the great hallmarks of the Rebbe's leadership, which we're of course going to be exploring on a very personal level in the new course, right? Are all of you uh, coming to the new course? Beautiful, beautiful course, and so personal. You know, to learn the Rebbe's teachings, not as teachings, but as the way the Rebbe spoke to individuals is is very special, very empowering. So it's going to be a very beautiful course. But one of the hallmarks of, of the Rebbe's leadership was his emphasis on doing a mitzvah. And in fact, Rabbi Joseph Telushkin, who spent many years writing a uh, biography on the Rebbe, he said this was one of the most inspiring things he walked out with. Uh, the, the Rebbe's insistence on the power of one mitzvah. In a certain way, the Rebbe invented the model of course, the Rebbe didn't invent anything. Everything is in Judaism. But, but, the, but the, the, the Rebbe championed in a whole new way the value of get one Jew to do one mitzvah. And the Rebbe started all the mitzvah campaigns. There's ten specifically chosen mitzvahs that the Rebbe said are part of the official ten mitzvah campaigns. And uh, they become hallmark, hallmarks of Chabad, right? To encourage Jews to put on tefillin, to put up a mezuzah, to light Shabbos candles, to, Torah, to study Torah to own Torah books, there's ten, ten mitzvahs. When the Rebbe started this, there was a lot of criticism. And perhaps surprisingly, 
a lot of criticism came to the Rebbe from the Orthodox community, the, the religious community. And they said, what type of business is this? You pull a Jew, you pull a secular Jew on a street corner in Manhattan, you heckle them, <laughs> you do one mitzvah and you send them off? What did you do? You did nothing. You didn't get a commitment. <laughs> you didn't sign them up to go to yeshiva. What did you do? You got some Jew, anonymous, you didn't even get his name. And he got into Pantillon and then he walked off. What? It's meaningless. And some even told the Rebbe, it's, 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 a, uh, it's disrespectful to the mitzvah. It makes the mitzvah too cheap. Like, oh, come, a street corner of Manhattan, let's wrap tefillin quickly. Like, you know, ooh, the mitzvah's meant to be done with reverence and a shul and a building. <laughs> Not in a street corner. They're like, hot dog vendor and tefillin stand. And, but, but mostly they were just bewildered. What is this thing? Like, you know, what's the rabbit trying to accomplish? Where's the strategy, right? Every business has to have a, a business strategy. What is the strategy of pulling some Jew... You'll never see him again. And you just say, let's put on tefillin, and you get him to put on tefillin. What are you doing? There's no follow-up. You didn't even get his address to put him on a mailing list, right? <laughs> what are you doing? And there are quoted these words of Tanya, when a Jew does a mitzvah that affect lasts forever, you've given a Jew the, the gift of a connection with God, and that connection with God is never, ever going to disappear. You know, what's in it for me? I don't know. <laughs> but what's in it for the Jew? Everything. You've given the Jew a priceless gift. The mitzvah lasts forever. And I once saw something very, very interesting. In the early years of Chabad, I saw a, uh, a, a yeshiva boy wrote the same question to the Rebbe. He says he's doing the work of the Rebbe to help spread Judaism, but he doesn't see any effects. He doesn't see the results, and he's feeling very dejected. And, uh, you know, he doesn't see any movement. So I helped the Jew put on tefillin. I helped the Jew put up a mezuzah. But uh, I don't, you know, I don't feel like the Jew got any more religious because of me. And the Rebbe responded a few different points to him. But one of the points was this. You never know what the effect of a mitzvah is. You know, this is God's business. <laughs> you know, you need to see results. Who said you need to see results? A mitzvah lasts forever. Any mitzvah we do is something which stays with us forever. It's a gift to our soul. It's a connection with Hashem, which is not a piece of history. It's not part of your story. Once upon a time, I did this. It becomes something which never changes. Now, the, the author is going to say something very, very interesting right now, but it's a little bit of an involved conversation right now, right? The next piece of Tanya is a little bit involved. The author is going to say, but listen like this. This is, where, this is where it gets a little bit complicating right now. You ready? Above, beyond time, the mitzvah is eternal. But we don't live above. We live below. Which means, practically speaking, we do leave the mitzvah. Right? We do leave the mitzvah behind. Time marches on. And the mitzvah we did and the oneness, the unity that we created through that mitzvah with Hashem becomes something of the past. And we could even disconnect from that unity. How do we disconnect from the unity? We could disconnect from serving Hashem. We could disconnect from being in touch with that unity. For example, when we stop doing Torah mitzvahs, 
When we have the opportunity to study, but we don't study. When we have the opportunity to do a mitzvah, we don't do the mitzvah. We are then actually turning our back on the oneness with Hashem. So the author is saying something very interesting is happening over here. On the one hand, the mitzvah lasts forever, but above. <laughs> but down here in this world, we could actually interrupt that connection. But the author is going to tell us that even though we could interrupt it, we never lost it. And a Jew could reconnect with the, with the oneness that you created with your mitzvah at any moment. You could plug right back in. It's always accessible to you. So both are true at the same time. On the one hand, in this physical world, we could leave the bond, the connection that we made with the mitzvah. We could leave it behind. But on the other hand, it's always there. We could always reach out and grab it. You know, it's like having money in a bank account. When you have money in a bank account, on the one hand, you have the money. If you don't have it with you, it's in the bank. So do you have the money or you don't have the money? It's both. I have the money in a different location, and at any moment, I could go get it. I could go to the bank and uh, withdraw the money. I go to an ATM machine, drive through ATMs, and I get the money. So I don't have it right now, but I can always connect right back with it. So the author is going to say something a little bit similar. When we leave a mitzvah, and when we turn our back, when we make a, an interruption with a connection with Hashem, we do within this world, it creates an interruption with the connection with Hashem that we have through the mitzvah. But we could always connect right back with it. So that's what the is going to tell us, but it's a little bit involved how the author makes this presentation. All right? So let's, let's start reading. And if anything is not clear, you'll make sure to ask me, all right? Okay. Bottom of page 192. Says the Alter Rebbe, below, right, below, however, in our physical world, this unity with God is subject to the constraints of time, and it manifests within our world only at the time that you are involved with Torah study or doing a mitzvah. Oh, when you study Torah and when you do the mitzvah, that is when you have this unity with God. But afterwards, says the Alter Rebbe, because when you do some other non-Torah activity afterwards, when we uh, leave the world of Torah and mitzvahs and serving God, your eternal unity with God above is interrupted below. You temporarily lose connection with the unity and the oneness you have with God through the mitzvah because you have now done something which goes against that connection. What is that something else? Says the Alter Rebbe, when we speak of an interruption through, quote, some other activity, it means when you engage in completely empty activities which are not at all necessary for serving God. So the Alter Rebbe says, I don't mean eating breakfast. Eating breakfast is good. Eating breakfast is necessary for a Jew, as long as it's kosher, right? The Alter Rebbe says, what breaks the connection? Not going to sleep. Going to sleep is also part of serving God. Everything is part of serving God, as long as it's necessary. Um, but when you do something which is completely empty, totally unnecessary for a Jew's mission, that is what breaks and interrupts the connection. But the author says we could always get right back in, in touch with it. How do you get right back in touch with the connection? Says the author of page, one, page 193, Nevertheless, even after your connection is interrupted, 
you can always immediately reconnect with this eternal bond with God. It's always available for you. It's like having, an, right? It's like having a, a bank card. It's like having a card to the ATM. Even though you don't have connection right now with, with the money, right? Even though you don't have connection right now with the bond with God, you can always reconnect. How do you reconnect? Says the Alter Rebbe. You could reconnect when you repent for your lapse. You first of all have to repent. And you have to return to serving God in Torah and in prayer. So you have to literally return. When you repent and you actually get back to doing a mitzvah and studying Torah, you're right back where you left off before. And you pick up right where you were before with the connection you have with Hashem. And what do you have to do, says the Alter Rebbe, and you ask forgiveness from God for the Torah you could have studied but did not, and then God will for sure forgive you, and your state of merging, your unity with God will resume. Which means all you have to do is ask forgiveness. Immediately, God forgives you, and you're right back where you were. And the Alter Rebbe quotes, as our sages taught, if one neglected to perform a positive mitzvah and then repented, he is immediately forgiven even before he moves from his place. So the Alter says, you could lose the connection that you made through your mitzvah, but only temporarily. And the Alter says, it's so easy to get back in touch with that connection. How do you get back in touch? You simply have to repent. Easy, you have to just say, God, I'm sorry that I was able to connect with you and that I wasn't connected. I'm sorry, God, for disconnecting. And then you just reconnect again. And it's an easy process. <laughs> right? The answer is instantaneous. When you say, tell God, I'm sorry that I could have been connected. I'm sorry for disconnecting for a moment. You know what Hashem says? You're right back in. Don't worry about it. No admission fee. <laughs> when you knock on the door and say, God, I know I just left you for a week. It's been a week since I studied Torah. I'm back to studying Torah now. You know what Hashem says? Come right in. We're, let's continue right where we left off. So the says the connection's right there. And the Alter even says, this act of forgiveness, that we have to simply tell God I'm sorry, that I neglected, I had the opportunity to be connected with you, and I neglected it. The Alter says, this is actually baked into the daily prayers of a Jew. <laughs> Every single time a Jew prays, he is asking this exact forgiveness. And God immediately forgives him. And in this way, the Jew is constantly reconnecting with the bond that they make with God through the mitzvah. So says the Alter Rebbe, and it was for this interruption in the bond with God that occurs due to the sin of neglecting Torah study, from which no man escapes from even a single day. There's nobody who doesn't uh, suffer from this transgression. That I had the opportunity to study Torah, and I didn't study the Torah. So we're always going through this. <laughs> So it was for the sin that the sages instituted to recite the blessing of forgive us. It's one of the blessings in the Amida prayer. And the sages instituted that we should say this, this blessing, forgive us, three times every day. Why? So that every Jew should constantly reconnect with the eternal bond with God. Just think about it. In the morning, I wake up in the morning, and I had the opportunity to study Torah, and I had the opportunity to do a mitzvah, and let's say I missed the opportunity. I lost, I interrupted my connection with Hashem. So you know what happens? I go to pray. I put on my tefillin, and I say the Amida prayer, and I say, God, please forgive me. And you know what Hashem says on the spot? Hashem says, you're forgiven, welcome back home. <laughs> 
And then I'm, I'm plugged back in again to my connection with God. And then in between my morning prayer and my afternoon prayer, my mincha, I again lost some opportunities to do a mitzvah. And I again say, Slach lanu. I again say, forgive me, Hashem. And what does God say? On the spot, God says, you're forgiven. And I'm reconnected. So the sages put into the daily prayer of a Jew this act of forgiveness, which gets us reconnected with God. Three times a day. It's like that. Multiple times a day, a Jew is always reconnecting and coming back in contact with the oneness that we generated through our mitzvahs and through our Torah study. And says the Alter Rebbe, this prayer is similar to the daily burnt offering in the Holy Temple, which atoned for the neglect of the positive mitzvahs. Okay. So the Alter Rebbe is, is the, the point the Alter is trying to make is that a Jew never loses connection with the eternal unity that your mitzvah generated. When you do a mitzvah, you create this intimate bond with Hashem, a oneness with God, and you could only interrupt that oneness. When a Jew does a mitzvah, that mitzvah lasts with him forever. And the mitzvah creates a bond with God, which is unbelievable. And the Jew can never lose that bond with God. There's an unbelievable story. You want to hear a little story? There was a Hasidic Rebbe from the Ger dynasty. Are any of you familiar with the Ger Hasidim? The Ger dynasty. It's a pretty large uh, Hasidic group from pre-war already, uh, which dates back to the early days of the Hasidic movement, Ger. Um, today they have a very large community in Israel and in America as well. And um, this is a story about the second Ger Rebbe. His name was uh, Rabbi Itchemeyer, Rabbi Yitzchak Meir. He was once being given a, uh, you know, this is 200 years ago, more than 200 years ago. He was once being given a, um, a ride with a horse and buggy. And the one who was uh, driving the horse and buggy, the coachman, was a secular Jew. And the Jew challenged the rabbi. He said, you're a big rabbi? I've got a question for you. I am a sinner. I don't believe in God. I don't do any mitzvahs, and I commit every single sin in the book. If you believe in God, please explain to me how it is that I have such a good life. I'm affluent. I'm happy. I'm healthy. I have blessings in my life. If you believe in the Torah, then, you know, <laughs> explain to me how could it be that I'm not suffering. See what the Rebbe told him? The Rebbe said, have you ever said the verse Shema Yisrael in your life? He said, have I ever said it in my life? Of course I've said it in my life. <laughs> I was raised, I was, you know, I'm a Jew, I was raised in a Jewish home. I said Shema Yisrael. The Rebbe said that mitzvah lasts with you forever. You're not, you're not devoid of mitzvahs. You have a mitzvah. You have many mitzvahs. So you could tell me it's been many years since you did a mitzvah. I don't care. <laughs> that mitzvah, all those mitzvahs are with you forever. And, and all the goodness in life and the fact that, you know, this secular Jew thought he should be suffering. You know, God should be punishing him every single day that he's a secular Jew. The Rebbe said, what do you mean? <laughs> you have all these mitzvahs with you. <laughs> you should be suffering. You're getting all these blessings because you have so many mitzvahs. And the coachman was shocked. Because... <laughs> 
this is this is what the rabbi was telling him. You know, it's not a mitzvah you've done isn't historical. It, it's it's a force in life right now, and all the blessings, the dividends, whatever power a mitzvah is and could offer to you, you have that right now. And the altar is trying to tell you that even when you interrupt your connection with the mitzvah, it is easy, very easy to tap right back in to the bond through the mitzvah. Okay, one final point the altar is going to say. Bottom of page 193. The altar bear asks, but does this thrice daily asking of repentance not fall under the warning against saying, I will sin now and repent later on? It's a very interesting thing. A Jew misses the opportunity to do a mitzvah, and we ask God for forgiveness, and God forgives us. A few hours later, we tell God, I'm sorry, I missed some more opportunities, I'm sorry, and God forgives us. A few hours later, we come back to God and say the exact same thing. I missed the opportunity to do some mitzvahs, I want to say I'm sorry, and God says, I forgive you. And this keeps on happening again and again and again, multiple times a day. At a certain point, isn't it a little bit flippant? <laughs> if you're asking for forgiveness, that should mean it should, never be, it should never happen again. And our sages warn us, a Jew should never sin with the intent that he's going to return. A Jew should never say, oh, I could sin, it's okay. I could transgress. You know why? Because God is nice. God is always going to let me back in. <laughs> right? So the other is saying is, you know, how could we say over here that the Jew is always asking forgiveness and always being given the opportunity to reconnect and he's always dropping the ball? So the altar says, no, don't worry. What we are describing here, that a Jew misses the opportunity to study Torah, misses opportunities to do a mitzvah, and then is asking for forgiveness, even if it's multiple times a day, says the Alter Rebbe, it's not a problem. It does not. Unless, it's only a problem, if at the actual moment of the sin, you rely on your later tshuva. And that itself motivates your sin, as is explained elsewhere. Over here, when a Jew is missing the opportunity to study Torah, he's not doing, he's not saying, oh, I'll skip studying Torah because I know God's going to forgive me. That's not what's happening over here. A Jew is doing it more subconsciously. You know, subconsciously, we, we, we dropped the ball and, you know, yeah, I maybe could have been more involved in Torah study. There was a moment I was able to study and I wasn't studying. If you deliberately not study and you're relying on the fact that God, that you'll be able to cover up your transgression later, that's no good. But over here, it's more, it's not, it's not as, it's more casual than that. In any case, this was a little bit of an involved conversation with many different ideas flying around over here pretty quickly. The Atabah's point is very simple. The Atabah's trying to tell you it like this. If you are willing to die for God, how much more so? Oh, one second. If you're willing to die simply to avoid a temporary disconnection from Hashem, because even when a Jew bows down to idol, he could always do tshuva, which means... The soul is willing to die even to avoid a temporary separation from God. If you're willing to die even for a temporary disconnection from Hashem, how much more so should you be willing to put in the effort to do a mitzvah which gives you a permanent, not a temporary, a permanent, an eternal connection to Hashem? And the Alpha says, all you got to do is inspire yourself. And dear friends, with that we have the message of this chapter. It is such a simple and down-to-earth message and such a powerful message. A Jew has to remember 
the power of the soul. A Jew has to remember, we have to remind ourselves who I really am. What are my priorities in life? If I strip off all the layers of who I am, all the assumed layers of my identity, and I get down to the deepest core, to the deepest truth, I reach the core and I can't peel away anymore. This is the ultimate depth, the ultimate point of my life. Who am I? And you'll discover that I'm a Jew who deeply cares about my Jewishness. I'm a Jew who deeply cares about my connection to God. And I don't care about anything as much as I care about this. I don't love anything as much as I love this. It should give us the chills, no? It should, it, it, it should totally shake us. Wow, this is, this is who I really am. That's crazy. And when we have that knowledge, we could remind ourselves of that knowledge. And we could inspire ourselves to make, these, uh, to make these choices in life, these little choices in life. The little moments in life which don't seem so earth-shattering. But uh, really, this is what life is all about, right? Life is all about the small moments, the small decisions, and being a visionary in, these, uh, in the every single day of life. Dear friends, we have one little, small little section left to the Tanya. The little cherry on top. The author now gives us a last little message. I want to tell you a story. This was in 1952. <clears throat> 1952. This was not too long after the Rebbe became the Rebbe, right? He was 1952. Not even, year, not even a year has gone by since the Rebbe was officially inaugurated as the, as the Lubavitcher Rebbe. The Rebbe still had a black beard, then a small black beard. And the Rebbe went to a wedding of a, of a relative of the Schneerson family, a little bit of a distant relative, uh, Dr. Zelikson. Dr. Zelikson was getting married. And the Rebbe went. The young Lubavitcher Rebbe. The Rebbe wasn't that young. He was in his 50s, but pretty fresh. The fresh Lubavitcher Rebbe. And they honored the Rebbe to speak at this wedding, at the wedding reception. And the Rebbe spoke a little bit. The wedding was on Hanukkah. And the Rebbe spoke about the power of sacrifice of the Jewish people. The Rebbe spoke about how the Jews made the decision to give up their lives and that they're willing to die for their religion, willing to die to defend their religion, and how many Jews did do so. And the Rebbe spoke about the sacrifice of the woman. And the Rebbe spoke about that, the message that it has for us today, the message of self-sacrifice, that a Jew is even willing to die. And the Rebbe spoke. And there was a rabbi, not a Chabad rabbi, not a Hasidic rabbi, who was at the wedding. And after the Rebbe spoke, he went over to the Rebbe and he said, you know, is this really what we need to be speaking about right now? Do we really need to be speaking about self-sacrifice, about Jews dying? What was the rabbi saying? The rabbi was saying perhaps a valid point, no? You know, it, it, it's barely a few years after the Holocaust. Six million Jews just gave up their lives. 
this is a sore topic, right? It's a sore topic. The wounds, the wounds didn't heal yet. The blood is still fresh. The families are still grieving. We're still in shock. We don't need to hear about sacrifice. Let's not talk about it. It's a sore topic. This is what this rabbi challenged the Rebbe. The Rebbe didn't engage this rabbi much. He simply said these words. It's very important to speak about sacrifice, especially in America. That's what the Rebbe said. Especially in America, we need to speak about the Jewish self-sacrifice. What does that mean? In America, we don't have any, any pogroms. We don't have this form of persecution that Jews have to give up their lives. Why do we have to speak about it in America? This isn't the call of the hour. This isn't what is demanded of us. And I'll tell you one more thing, and I could have mentioned this to you last week. I recently saw this. The Rebbe, once in a conversation with, a, with an educator, an educator of children, said that it's, we have to make sure to speak to young children about the self-sacrifice of the Jewish people. And the Rebbe said not to speak about it in a negative way, in a morbid way. Look, we Jews are, are killed and we're persecuted. No, no, no. Not, not in that way. We have to speak about it with pride. We have to share the stories of the spirit of the Jewish soul, the Jewish spirit, how strong Jews are. We have to speak about it in that way. What's the meaning of that? Why, why, why in America do we have to speak about self-sacrifice? Now, in the time of comfort, the time of affluence, the time of opportunities, the times of assimilation, even in a good way, assimilation, right? The world welcomes us. America welcomes us. The Western world lets us live and lets us practice religion. Why do we have to speak about self-sacrifice? Seemingly, it's a topic which is uh, irrelevant right now. Thank goodness it's irrelevant. Let's read. Let's read. This is the powerful ending of the chapter. Page 194. Part 3, Living with Your Self-Sacrifice, says the author of, and now, now we will be able to appreciate why in Deuteronomy, Moses, our teacher, peace unto him, right? Allah HaShalom, Moses, our teacher, commanded the generation of Jews entering the land of Israel to recite the Shema twice daily so that they accept God's sovereign authority upon themselves with self-sacrifice. Okay, let me give you the background over here. Moses takes the Jews out of Egypt, gives them the Torah, and wanders with the Jews for 40 years. Okay. In those 40 years, the generation shifted. The generation that left Egypt slowly dies out. A new generation is born. This is the second generation of the Jewish people. The second generation of the Jewish people are about to make the transition from the desert from the oasis of God nourishing you, taking care of you, clouds of glory, free food, free manna. The Jews didn't have a worry in their lives. And they're about to make the transition into Israel. It's time Moses is going to pass on the baton to Joshua. This is going to be the second generation. Joshua is going to bring the Jews into the land of Israel. The Jews are going to conquer the land of Israel. And Moses tells the Jews at the very end of the Torah, Deuteronomy, you're about to go into Israel, I'm giving you a mitzvah. 
You know what the mitzvah is? Say Shema twice a day. What is the meaning of the mitzvah to say Shema twice a day? Accept upon yourself the authority, the sovereignty of God to the point of self-sacrifice. This is what Moses tells the Jewish people. The author says, I've got, I've got a question. What's the author's question? Says the author, but wasn't the generation that entered the land promised that no man will stand before you? God will cast the trepidation and dread of you upon all the land where you will tread. Why then was it necessary for them to prepare themselves for self-sacrifice? The author says, I don't understand something. Moses promised these Jews that God is going to make them very successful in conquering the land of Israel. This generation of Jews are not going to be Jews who suffer. They're not going to be Jews who are persecuted. These are going to be Jews who are going to be respected. These are Jews who are going to be powerful. These are going to be Jews who live in security and comfort. No one's going to dare mess with these Jews. God is blessing these Jews that all the other nations are going to be in trepidation and dread of the Jews. No Jews are going to have to die. There's not going to be any anti-Semites coming to persecute Jews in this generation that's about to enter the land of Israel, says the author, so why does Moses have to teach them about self-sacrifice? These Jews won't need a self, won't need a sacrifice. Why do they need to get the mitzvah of saying Shema? And the author says that's the whole point. The mitzvah and the knowledge of self-sacrifice it goes a lot deeper than teaching you to die for God. More critically, more fundamentally, it's teaching us how to live. And the author says, very, very simple. This is the generation that's finally going to face the tests of life, the struggles of life. This is going to be the generation that enters the land of Israel, has to start getting day jobs, raise a family, and all the same struggles we face. I don't have time to study Torah. There's temptations, opportunities to not listen to God. This is going to be the generation that faces it. They're not going to have to give up their life for God, but they're going to have the regular, mundane, regular challenges that every Jew faces. Spiritual challenges. Facing the Yetzirah Hara, the evil inclination. And says the author, but that is where you need to remember and commit yourself to sacrifice. Says the author, this second generation did not receive the mitzvah of Shema due to an actual threat to their lives, but rather because Torah and mitzvah observance depends on you constantly reminding yourself of your willingness to sacrifice your life for the sake of God's oneness. Simple as that. Even if there's no threat to your life, a Jew has to remember constantly that I would be willing to die for God. And then the question is, what does that teach me about living for God. The point of life is not to die for God. The point of life is to live for God. And sometimes when you remember that you're willing to die for God, it helps, gives you clarity about living for God. And says the Alter Rebbe, the Alter Rebbe concludes, this, this knowledge, this, this memory, needs to be fixed permanently in your heart. Literally, day and night, it should not slip. There's a, there's a, uh, the word not is missing. It should not slip your mind. Because through this, you will always, at any moment, be able to stand against your evil inclinations mentioned above. 
dear friends, in a certain way, the author is saying it's very easy to die for God. It's easy. It's an easy decision. It's an easy choice. Jews never had to struggle with the choice, should I die for God? It was an easy decision of the Jewish people. The Atavist tells us it's a moment of clarity, and at that moment of clarity, a Jew knows what the right decision is, and a Jew does it with complete joy and conviction. You know what the real challenge is? The real challenge is to be the American Jew, (laughs) to live for God. Thank God none of us have to die for God. We get the opportunity to live for God. Generations of Jews wanted to be us, a Jew who could live for God. The Jews of Europe for generations and generations, and the, gen- the generation of the Holocaust, the generation of the Inquisition, the generation of the Crusades, they were the generations who had to die for God. We are the generation who gets to live for God. We are the generation that they all wish they could live. And the author says, you know how you get to live for God? When you remember that you would be willing to die for God. Remember that. Have that clarity in your mind, in your consciousness. And any struggle you will ever have, any dilemma you will ever have, will all of a sudden become crystal clear. The decision becomes easy because you've become a visionary. And you will be inspired, you will be empowered, and you will have crystal clear vision of who I really am, what really matters to me in life, and what are going to be the decisions that I make today. And the author says, if you simply remember this, you could be a Bainani. It becomes easy to be a Bainani. And what's a Bainani? A Bainani is somebody who is, in, who is in control of themselves and makes good decisions. And this is the way to inspire yourself to make those good decisions. And dear friends, with that, we conclude chapter 25. We conclude this beautiful, massive, deep, very, very special section of Tanya, which began in chapter 18. And chapter 26, a brand new topic about joy. The author teaches us about being joyful, and what the, author, what the author is going to teach us is that a Jew and a chassid needs to be happy. You cannot be a successful Jew if you're sad. You cannot be a successful Jew if you're despondent, and if you're depressed, and if you're mopey. You gotta have, you gotta be so full of life, and full of alacrity, and joy, and spirit. And the author says, I'm gonna teach you how to do that. So from chapter 26, until chapter 34, through chapter 34, is the author of his code to living joyful life and uh, it's, a, it's a brand new beautiful world of Tanya we're about to begin and dear friends we gotta make a big l'chaim you know even Mushki told me Mushki says if we Mushki just told me this to me today if we if this class made it through chapter 25 then we could for sure finish the whole Tanya because <laughs> oh we just got through such a such a big heavy heavy uh, this is heavy lifting so l'chaim l'chaim dear friends what an unbelievable joy and how special this is that we get to study Tanya together and that uh, we're making progress like this. So may we all have the strength to continue studying with even, with even more commitment and even more joy and more understanding. And uh, may all this touch our hearts and souls. So l'chaim, l'chaim.